Welcome to the Tennis Talk Podcast with Matt Brown and David Mostert, powered by Newstalk ZB. Welcome in to Tennis Talk. It is edition 28. Matt Brown alongside Dave Mustard. Uh, Dave, uh, what a weekend uh, we had. Uh, the club championships at the Herne Bay Ponsby Rackets Club came to a conclusion. And look, I do not know how on earth I ended up with two titles, albeit B grade, but mixed doubles and doubles to wonderful partners, Kate Clausen and Alex Simon. I'll drop the names in. But when I couldn't serve, I couldn't smash, and I hardly made a volley, I do not know how we won. Well, well, Matt, sometimes, you know, things come down to experience. I know that you don't have a lot of practice. You do a few drills every now and again, but experience goes a long way. You know, you follow tennis, you watch tennis, you're an you're a expert commentator, radio, you name it. So those things all go towards your developing your own game. But frankly, I watched some of that, and frankly, I was not impressed with some of your game, Matt. And, and I think your partner probably held you up a little bit. But that's okay. It doesn't matter. You worked it out, you found out a way to win, and you must be a very happy man with the huge trophies that are now sitting on your shelf. I am indeed, and I tell you what, if we had video of this, I, I would parade those trophies, although you'd still need a magnifying glass uh, to see them. Okay, yeah, so and before we get on to, um, you know, bigger and better things and more important things in tennis, uh, I have to book in a, a serving lesson, a lesson on serving, and maybe, just maybe, um, I've given you an idea for one of your coach's corners tips, because I think um, serving is such a key part of the game, and in fact, in the doubles final, when I was getting a few serves in, the men's doubles final, we won a lot of free points because that's the key, isn't it? Double serving three or four double faults a game isn't going to help you. And so that's something I've still got to work out. Well, out. a lot of people struggle with, you know, there's there's the stance, there's the, the rhythm of the serve. A lot of people struggle with the ball toss. And sometimes it can be as, as simple, Matt, as actually holding the ball like it's in a cup and presenting your fingers to the sky. That sounds kind of higgledy-piggledy there, but there are very basic things that you can do, which people often don't do. So... And they don't take their time. They often rush from under pressure. So that's not today. We're doing something else today, but I'll mention that later. But we will get to the serving aspect sometime with those incredible amount of followers that are following us for my tips. I tell you what, club championships, though, and I'm sure they've been going on all around the country and, you know, in fact, the world, wherever you're listening, you know, it's such an important part of, of tennis, isn't it, for, for recreational players, also serious players. Uh, and, and I thought, um, you know, the club champs at, at the local club was – it's pretty good in terms of making a real afternoon of, of the finals day. Um, the weather came to the party and, and I think everyone enjoyed themselves. I thought the music, Simon uh, Holloway, the uh, the president of tennis, I thought the music was actually very good. A lot of beats in there, Matt. It actually helps you with the rhythm on the course, almost like you want to come out doing a bit of salsa dancing and what have you. So it really did. It was a, it was a, it was a great afternoon, nice weather. Um, the other thing that's quite funny, Matt, you'll find today, because obviously you've got drills tonight, you know, I'm getting phone calls from people going, oh, I'm just a little bit sore. You know, I haven't played that many matches in so long and I'm sore. Look, I need to take a bit of time off. My gosh, that's about five people. Five people are going, I mean, toughen up, people. Come on, do the stuff beforehand. Do your stretches. But five people, you know, it just upsets the Muster Corporation, really, to be honest. <laughs> it does indeed. Right, let's get into it then. So uh, this week, uh, tennis tournaments in the, in the men's ATP Tour, there are a couple of 250 clay events uh, in Germany, the BMW Open, and also the Millennium Estoril Open 
in Portugal. We'll start off in Germany because uh, there's a, a new winner really on the ATP Tour, Holger uh, Rune, the, um, the Danish player, a, a player who came to the ASP Classic as a wild card a few years ago in Auckland. I got to see him play. But a real breakthrough win for this young Dane, um, David, including a, a very fine win in straight sets over Alexander Zverev, the top seed in the, I think, second round. Yeah, and he's a he's a gentleman who said that you know he thinks he can match what uh, what um, you know Nadal does in some of the tournament um, aspects that he's has played in. So it was actually quite a big big call for an eighteen year old. So he's he's full of confidence. But you came through. He actually got a default um, in the finals three four, and his partner, um, sorry, his opponent, Vlasic van der Zundschulp. From Holland, who I actually am very impressed with. Actually, he's 26 years of age. That gentleman, unfortunately, had to retire in the final. Um, so, but you know, Rene really has been knocking on the door. He's he's one that's going to come through. I'm sure he's racked in the world. He beat some moment. good players, eh? Like Russell Borey, yeah. the young Finn. He beat him in straight sets. And in fact, he crushed him six love six two. And then um, that that just is a really really good win. Of course, that win over Zverev, you know, three and two, um, very convincing on the clay. So another youngster. You know, we've been talking a lot about Carlos Alcaraz, haven't we? The other 18-year-old who's, who's just, you know, winning Masters tournaments and, and winning on hardcore and clay as the sensation. Well, let's just, uh, you know, watch this kid closely. Um, good to see these teenagers really excelling. Um, also, uh, it will be worth noting too, uh, the ATP tournament um, that was held in Estoril. Um, that tournament, incidentally, before we get on to the singles, Michael Venus teamed up with Jamie Murray in the doubles. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and they were the top seeds and, and surprisingly lost to some Portuguese wildcards in the semi-finals. They're also playing the Madrid Masters uh, this coming week together because uh, Venus's regular partner, Tim Pertz, is injured. He's got a bit of an ankle problem, but should be right in time for Roland Garros, the French Open. But uh, looking at the uh, Estoril tournament, Dave, um, again, not, not a tournament I really got to watch, but a couple of players in the final maybe you wouldn't necessarily expect to see. Certainly Francis Tiafo on clay in the final. And uh, he, he played uh, Sebastian Baez of Argentina. Uh, the Argentines are always good on clay, aren't they? 6-3-6-2 uh, was Baez who, who won that title. Yeah, I, I, was, I saw a few highlights of that. And uh, Sebastian Baez from Argentina, 21-year-old, is actually quite impressive. He's got a, a, got a good game, actually. You know, and he's, he's ranked, what, about 59 in the world. Uh, Teofel, Teofel from the US is 24 years of age. He, uh, he's ranked 29, so he on paper was supposed to take that out. But, um, again, it's showing you, you know, Sebastian, another, he's only a youngster, 21 is not old, and there's another one there coming through winning a title. So it's looking good for Argentina. He's got a lot of good players coming through. Um, Teofo actually, I think, has done well in Estral before. I think he made the final once before. So he, he likes to play. He talks well. I love the interview afterwards saying, you know, he's very positive. You know, he says, this is not about me. This is about my opponent. I mean, I just found him quite respectful and laid back and, and a nice interview. So, yeah. So of course. Uh, it, was, it was good. It was good on the clay and um, Estral. It's the big uh, Madrid Masters or the Matua Madrid Open, as it's called. It's a 1,000 event for both the men and the women. The women have been going for a few days uh, already. And just looking at some of the results, uh, you know, some, some quite staggering re staggering results. It's good to see Emma Raducanu winning over Kostuk uh, very easily, I think, three and one. She seems to be getting a bit of form, getting a bit of momentum, getting some match wins 
the US Open champion and playing really well on the clay. Uh, but when I look at uh, some of the upsets to see, uh, you know, Naomi Osaka uh, being bundled out really early on um, and losing convincingly as well. Gabinia Muguruza, who, of course, has won a Grand Slam on Roland Garros on the clay as well. Absolutely crushed losing our 6-3-6 love to um, Kalina. Um, and, you know, that's that's pretty just winning three games. Maria Sakkari, the fourth seed, losing to Kasat Kina. Um, so a couple of the, uh, the players from the countries we're not allowed to talk about uh, <laughs> causing those upsets. But uh, but both those players also very good on clay. And then I also see Paula Bedosa, who's had great results on hard courts, but the second seed. Who did she lose to, Dave? She lost to Simona Harp, who, of course, is a Roland Garros champion, pretty at home on the clay, uh, 6-3, 6-1. So some interesting results early on um, in that tournament for the women. The men really getting underway now. And a couple of players have done their pre-tournament interviews uh, returning to the clay. Djokovic, of course, played at the Serbia Open, and he lost early in Monte Carlo, where he's playing in Madrid. Rafael Nadal back for the first time since making the final at the Indian Wells Masters. Uh, for me, you know, it's his first clay court tournament, but he goes in as tournament favourite still, I think, 35 years of age every time he plays on clay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good that he's actually um, coming out and playing this event. He just needs a few matches leading into the French Open again, which will be one of the favourites for. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's good and it's great. There's so many Spaniards coming through now and, and, and doing so well. This, look, it's across the board. It's an exciting time, um, you know, for all these players coming through. But it's just nice to see these these top guys still around. We should be well, honoured to. Well, look at look at yeah, and Dave. Look at the draw. I mean, the draw for the men. I mean, Andy Murray playing dominant team. You know, team who's been in a couple of Rowan Garros finals, the US Open champion. You know, who's been injured for so long and has really struggled in his comeback. Playing Andy Murray, he's just not going to go away. Let's face it. He's been given a wild card. Still loves competing and on his day. Can still compete with the best. I mean, there are some uh, some pretty good matchups actually um, in this tournament, and you know, I feel the clay court season. A lot of players are playing well, and you know, we've mentioned these youngsters. You know, the Sitsa passes are going to be there or thereabouts. Djokovic will find some form. Nadal, I think, uh, there are a lot of genuine contenders um, heading into these um, big tournaments. So it is good for the men's game, but. Now, the story of the week, Dave, and I want to talk about this um, and just more about the person rather than what he actually got up to. And you know where I'm coming from here. Uh, Boris Becker, who for me was an absolute idol uh, growing up. Uh, He won six Grand Slams, three at Wimbledon. He burst on the scene as a 17-year-old kid, 1985. He wins Wimbledon, beats Kevin Curran, uh, just a... Incredible athlete, uh, serving volleying. I remember from that that final as a as a young fellow watching it. He was just sensational at his peak, and of course to to learn that he's been jailed. He's got a two and a half year prison sentence uh, for hiding uh, effectively about five million New Zealand dollars worth of assets and loans to avoid paying his debts. Uh, yeah, um, incredibly high-profile person. I, I, I'd actually been up to him, David, at Roland Garros the last time I was there, the 2019 tournament, and and asked him uh, for an interview actually uh, in the in the locker room. Oh, the locker room was the players' lounge um, to do some sort of like a bit of a preview um, piece for the um, ahead of the men's finals weekend. And 
and uh, he politely declined. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, uh, but you know, I remember him beating Brett Stephen at the Australian Open when Brett, that amazing you and Brett made, I think, 96. He made the quarters, lost him one, won a set, lost him four sets. Uh, but boom, boom, Boris uh, had his troubles, didn't he, Dave? And uh, off the corner, it's just sad to see this situation now for, you know, one of the greats. So let's face it, wasn't, was it was coaching Novak Djokovic for, for three years, um, you know, earlier in Djokovic's career. What are your thoughts on the man, um, Boris Becker? You were still playing, I believe, as he was emerging on the scene back in the 80s. Yeah, I do know a bit about him because in, in 1985, I played at Wimbledon and I lost to Kevin Curran in the third round. And Kevin Curran lost to Becker in the final and Becker was a 17-year-old. So in actual fact, um, Bob Brett who has since passed away, a great coach who used to work out of Hopman's, he used to work with Becker as his coach. But a lot of people, they, the ones that then knew, but people forget, the main person that really looked after his career was Eon Turiak, who's actually the wealthiest tennis player listed, if you look in the thing. He's a billionaire, and he was one of the early men. I think he still owns the Madrid Masters. He owns, he owns one of those tournaments. Yeah, well, he um, did own it. I think that's now gone. I think he sold it, yeah. but he, he did own it. He, he owns an airline. He was in Stuttgart. Yeah, in Stuttgart. And the thing about him, actually, at Roland Garros, he's actually got a seat, um, and he's in the same seat yeah, every year. He's that's got right. the seat right in the front. And you see, always see him on the television cameras. He's in, the in, in the prime spot. <laughs> but, but yes, but Arion, I, I just found it really interesting because I've actually, pre- I think I've actually hit with Boris, but um, but oh, I you, well, also, you would remember surely if you hit with Boris Becker. No, 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 because I was in Sydney training there, and he came on the court. I was on the court, then he came on, so he's heading down the line. So we're kind of involved. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm digressing, but the the important thing is that Turiak took over the managing of his career. And I think he said something interesting, which, you, you, you know, you sort of, a person becomes famous like a sensation overnight in Germany. Because tennis, I played a lot in Germany and played for a German club, actually. And when he won Wimbledon, German tennis just took off. And it was huge. He was just a, a huge icon. But Turiak said he was the most natural, crystal clear youngster I ever saw. He didn't know how to lie didn't need to lie, didn't need to find excuses or hype or cry when he was losing, he said. That's what made him hu- that made human beings around the world identify with him. Some of us say a separation from Turiak in 1993 deprived Becker of the firm hand that guided his early career. He quit in 1999. He retired. He became a BBC commentator, as you know. He coached Djokovic to six grand slams in that time. So he had something to do with that. Declared bankrupt in 2017, actually. And also, along the way, he had he, he just had his issues um, with, uh, you know, his private life. And, you know, it's, there's been autobiographies about, you know, the player released and made him blow headlines with booze, soaked tails. Look, he was known as a tennis playboy, right? I mean, this and, guy. And fear, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, anyway, but he had those issues. But what I do not understand is how he can let it go that far. And I think... You know, there's 75 million, But, but Matt, it sums it up when the judge says there has been no humility. That was one of the ends things from the judge after the sentence was handed down, which means he knew what he did. He wasn't incredibly apologetic about it. 
And unfortunately, perhaps he was just hiding himself from the reality of it all. But, you know, it's a pretty sad state of events that he obviously didn't manage or someone didn't manage him well if it was his fault at all, which I'm sure he knew a lot of it. Yeah, without look, without a doubt, you you should never. I mean, we hear the story about the boxers, don't we? The the boxers who end up with nothing and they've been millions for fights because there are people that, whatever reason, they're they're, they're the people who are close to them or whatever who maybe invest the money in the wrong places. I don't know. But the reality is Boris Becker earned, I think, well, this figure I've looked at is six. It's 68 million at one stage in wealth. So how you fritter that away, how you make so many wrong decisions is beyond me. But um, as a player, though, Dave, I mean, his style, you know, he... You know, he served and volleyed his way to that um, Wimbledon title back in um, in '85. That first one, he was an aggressive player, wasn't he? he had a, a brilliant at the net. Um, I saw. I remember watching him play Stefan Edberg on occasions. He was another great, you know, serve and volleyer, and they had some tremendous battles and that sort of rivalry in that era. And then sort of Pete Sampras came along and sort of started dominating. Um, I just wonder, you know, what are your sort of final recollections, maybe, of him as a player? Because that's what I want to talk about and, and, and think about when I think of Boris Becker. It's a sad situation he's in now, but man, he was uh, he was one you just, he was box office material. You watched him every he time. Had, he had a distinctive style when he you when I watched the videos, people on on his old YouTube things of him. He um, he had a distinctive serving style, and in actual fact, um, look if you look at the way he used to serve his big first serve. It was interesting the style and the way he hit it with the with the grip he used as well. He wasn't totally always a, a continental grip. He actually used to come almost to an eastern to really flatten out the serve. Anyway, that's again a little bit technical, but he was known for that. He had big ground strokes. Um, he was also known, funny enough, for a lot of his diving. He used to love to dive and throw himself around the court. He committed to everything, and but it's interesting. In that year that he lost or he won the final, he won three Wimbledon's. Um, he beat Curran. Curran in that tournament, after I played him, beat Connors, Edberg, and Becker. Um, and Connors, Edberg, and McEnroe. Curran was the informed player that year um, that, honestly, on paper, you would have said Curran would have won that. But for a 17-year-old to be that mature and that much self-belief in the final was quite phenomenal in that era. Um, and that set set the tone for for some time. So, yes, he's now fifty four years of age. Um, you know, it's it's a tough time for him, and we feel for him. But you know, unfortunately, um, he just made some some major mistakes, which he's now going to pay for. This is Coach's Corner with David Mustard. All the tips and tricks you need to improve your tennis game. Rightio. Um, I think uh, on that note, we will move to uh, Coach's Corner. What tip have you got for listeners this week on Tennis Talk? Well, the volley is dear to my heart. I love volleying. It's it's what I, I had a five-year-old against the wall trying to see if I could hone my reflexes. And there are volleys. There are six types of volleys, folks. There is the punch volley. So it's little or no backswing. There's the drop volley, the light touch. You've got the block volley, which is no punch or swing necessary at all for that, which you do a lot, Matt, because you have no feel. (laughs) Anyway, number four. (laughs) No touch, yes. (laughs) Number four is the lob volley. That's the open racket face. You hit high in an arc, especially when the incoming player, and sometimes you just want to hoist it over their, over their, uh, their, their head position. 
And then you've got the swing volley, which everybody knows that Serena, when she gets the mid-court area, which is the, the way you play it, and it's like a full power, you know, paced in the air ground stroke. And then there's also the half volley, which tries, you know, finesse. So you're hitting a, a ball that's rising as the player hits it. So there's the half volley. And McEnroe was known very much for the half volley. And the three main volley tips are to do it right. Uh, get the right grip. It's a conical grip, which means you use the same grip for both with a slight open racket face. Keep the racket head up above the ball when you go to hit it as a general. You want the right stance, um, which is, you know, balance. So you, you spread your base well away and you're also going to make sure you split before you hit the volley. It helps you read the distance and the speed of the ball, gives you better reaction time. So the stance is major how you stand. And then you want the right motion. You want to you split with an open face, uh, downward cut. You want you want to bounce, um, and it makes it bounce low in the court. And you always, Matt, this is important, you move the hand in the direction you want the ball to go. You're feeling through the hit. I call it gliding. Be a glider, Matt. If you're a glider, you stance well like a sumo wrestler and a giant nappy. Honestly, you can play great volleys. I see it every time. It is my main thing that I love to teach people. It is my thing. Well, on that note, I think I might change my mind and come to drills tonight to show you how I can volley. No, you can't come, you're injured. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's about us for this week then on Tennis Talk. Uh, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, uh, do listen in. Uh, Tennis Talk episode 28, done and dusted. Next week, we will check the uh, Madrid Open, uh, Madrid Masters, however you want to call it, the WTA ATP 1000 tournaments. Uh, and, of course, Rome coming up, and then it's Roland Garros, uh, the world of clay court tennis is well and truly upon us. On behalf of Dave Mustard and Matt Brown, bye for now. <laughs>